Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, podcast listeners. I hope you're enjoying your day as much as I am. You know, it's been interesting. There's there's a lot of articles coming out this weekend with what's happening at the G7 Summit, along with other news that has been reported on Friday that came out towards the end of the day as the markets were closing. And some things caught my attention a little bit. I mean, seems like we, we do got more oil things to talk about, and we'll get to that in a second. But for instance, first thing we're going to be talking about today is Chobani withdraws IPO plans after Yogurt Maker filed in November to go public. Okay. And what does that potentially mean for other IPOs? And we'll talk a little bit about that today as well. Comcast is making news as well, where they're expecting Disney to stick with their agreement to buy out the rest of Hulu. And that's a very interesting article that we'll need to get into. Then we need to talk about some charts that are showing some trends that are happening in the movie industry. And it's interesting because there are things that they are not talking about either in this article that we'll discuss a little bit about today. Jeff Bezos is in the news as well with Amazon and Lord of the Rings. Apparently, that was a huge hit this weekend. And we'll talk a little bit more of that as well. And like I said, we'll talk about finishing up about talking about oil prices and what the EU is trying to do with a cap right now on Russian oil. And we'll get into all that today. Some of yesterday's podcast is going to tie into this as well with the oil side of things. But that being said, like I always say at the beginning of each podcast, I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about on this podcast is for information purposes only. You need to do your own research before investing in any company. I do have small positions in Disney. I also have small positions in any of the oil companies like Exxon, Chevron, and British Petroleum. They're long-term, short, small positions. And... That being said, you need to go talk to your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions of any kind. Please go talk to your own financial advisor as they will understand your situation a lot more than I would. And this whole podcast is for information purposes only. With that being said, let's begin today's podcast. Chobani withdraws IPO plan after Yogurt Maker filed in November to go public. Okay. Chobani is withdrawing his plan for initial public offering according to a regular filing on Friday. The food and beverage company filed in November to go public on the NASDAQ exchange using the ticker symbol CHO, Rutgers reported the yogurt maker was seeking a valuation of more than $10 billion. But it's been a rocky year for the stock market, leading to a drought of IPOs in the second quarter. There were just 41 initial public offerings in America's down 73% from a year earlier period. According to a recent EY report, Chobani joins payroll vendors, JustWorks, Grocer Fresh Market, and file sharing company WeTransfer in canceling its IPO this year. In an email statement, Chobani cited current market conditions for the withdrawal. Our focus remains on strong execution and driving profitability growth, and we continue to be excited about the future of Chobani, the statement said. In recent years, Chobani has expanded its product portfolio, portfolio beyond Greek yogurt, adding oat milk, coffee creamer, cold brew coffee, and yogurt drinks to its roster. In its IPO falling, said in this revenue grew 5.2% to $1.4 billion from 2019 to 2020. However, its net loss more than tripled during that time, reaching $58.7 million as it invested back into the business. Jabani said it has planned to use a portion of its proceeds from, from the IPO to pay down debt. The company also said it would reorganize its corporate structure as part of the process. 
in March amid delays to his IPO. Chobani then operating chief Peter McGinnis left for Impossible Foods, where he now serves as the chief executive. Neil Sanders, managing director of global data, said in a statement that the department of top leaders like McGinnis have cast a shadow over Chobani despite its strong growth sales. Quote, this has given the impression of serious disagreement at the top, which is not exactly a message a business looking to go public wants to impart, he said. It's quite interesting. Chobani, I mean, when I worked at Target, I remember Chobani was... The, the, the yogurts were always being taken off the shelf, the Chobani yogurts. I mean, it's a popular brand. Don't get me wrong. And it's pretty tasty yogurt. I will admit that myself. But it's kind of scary that these public offerings are not going to be happening as much this year. And we're probably not going to see a whole lot. Okay. In fact, 40, they said in the article only 41 companies went public this year. I expect it now to stay at 41 for the remainder of this year. We only have like one quarter left in the year. It's already September. And we only have three months left after this month of September ends. But I don't expect any more IPOs to be happening because there is, I mean, the market's too crazy right now. In fact, like I had mentioned a few weeks back in a, in a past podcast that the market during the week would go down, 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 down. And then Friday would be a rally. But in reality, it really wasn't a rally. The market's still down for the year. There's a lot of uncertainty and it just seems like IPOs are not the strong suit to be in right now. I mean, maybe there has to be a turnaround eventually, but I'm not personally not expecting a lot of IPOs to happen this year. And Chobani, to be honest, I mean, people still need food and I don't know why Chobani's not taking a chance to go public. Maybe they're afraid they're going to get just completely burned. But they said they were going to use some of the uh, the money for the IPO to be able to pay down debt. So who knows what Chobani's plans are in the future? Maybe they just want to get more valuation out of the company, but I don't think the yogurt company is worth $10 billion. There's just no way. That's an insane number to think about. It's just yogurt for crying out loud and milk. Anyone can make some type of yogurt or milk to compete with Chobani eventually. So whatever, Chobani's going to do what it wants to do. On to the next article, Comcast executives expect Disney to stick with his agreement to acquire remaining stake in Hulu. The future of Hulu continues to be an open question at Comcast, and Disney still hasn't, haven't agreed on terms that will settle the company's future ownership. But Comcast executives are planning on Disney buying them out, even if they don't prefer otherwise. Disney owns two-thirds of Hulu and has an option to buy the remaining 33% from Comcast as early as January of 2024. Some analysis and industry watchers have speculated Comcast might try to buy Hulu from Disney rather than the other way around. Comcast chief executive Brian Roberts has been a long-term believer in Hulu and has historically pushed to keep the asset rather than sell, including in 2013 when Roberts nixed talks with DirecTV, according to a people familiar with the matter. Comcast, Comcast uh, broached the idea of buying all of Hulu from Disney after Disney agreed to acquire the majority of Fox assets as part of the $71 billion deal there closed in early 2019, said two people who asked not to be named because the discussions were private. Disney armed with 66% ownership after acquiring Disney, uh, correction, after acquiring Fox minority stake in Hulu, dismissed the idea that people said. Blocked from buying all of Hulu, Comcast sustained belief in the business led to the usual agreement that the two companies reached in May of 2019, with Comcast agreeing to sell Disney to its minority stake as early as 2024. As part of the transaction, Disney guaranteed a sale price valuing Hulu at a minimum of $27.5 billion. That amount spiked earlier in the pandemic, giving Comcast some hope that Disney may choose to unload Hulu rather than pay Comcast a huge check for the remainder. Two, two of the people said offloading Hulu would have Disney to put a focus more 
a correction to put its focus and money primarily on Disney Plus. Quote, I think that, I think if Disney could roll back the clock, sorry, I cannot speak right now. If Disney could roll back the clock today, I'm not sure they would enter the deal. Said Neil Begley, analysis for Moody Investor Services. Disney has this huge bill to pay in 2024 at the time when they're already investing a lot of money into Disney Plus. Acquiring Hulu from Disney would be a supercharged Comcast streaming effort. Hulu would instantly become a Comcast flagship streaming assets, replacing NBC Universal's Peacock, which just added 13 million paid subscribers in nearly two years of existence. Hulu has 46.2 million subscribers. Peacock could live on an NBC Universal free advertising support option. Peacock already had a free tier with millions of users. Several top Comcast executives also think Hulu doesn't make as much sense paired with Disney's assets as it would at NBC Universal, especially with the recent announcement that Disney Plus plans launch an advertising support tier in, in December. According to people familiar with the matter, Hulu has been Disney's advertising support service for years. Disney's could have positioned Hulu as its advertising play goes forward, but CEO Bob Chapek has chosen to make versions of both Disney Plus and Hulu with, with and without commercials. Okay. I've been paying attention to this for a while. In fact, I remember when this deal happened in 2019. I believe I remember correctly, it was like you had Disney that owned 33%, Fox that owned 33%, Comcast had 33%, and I think 10% was DirecTV. I can't remember what it was exactly, but they had a small percentage. And then it was like when Disney bought Fox, they went up to 66%, and then they bought the other remaining percent from the smaller guy, which I don't remember if it was DirecTV or if it was another company. I can't, the, the detail's a little murky, but... I personally don't think at the end of the day that Comcast is going to get this. I don't. And the reason I say that is Comcast, I mean, it's Comcast and Disney is going to want it by Hulu. I think if I remember correctly too, I mean, it's hard to find articles from 2019 to be able to talk about this, but I do remember reading that there was going to be a huge advantage with Hulu buying. I mean, not, I'm not Hulu, Disney buying Hulu in general because it would help them be able to expand what they had and also be able to get more revenue in. The streaming wars are just going to continue to get worse in general. And if you're not making decent movies going forward as a company, don't expect to survive in general. And Disney, now the only reason I don't see Disney actually buying out Comcast stake is ironically is that Disney apparently is struggling. They are. I mean, their subscriber growth is good, but a lot of people are turning away from Disney. Somewhat in a way, not a hundred percent. I mean, you're still going to have people who going to want to go to Disneyland. I mean, their theme parks are still making somewhat money if I'm not mistaken. And their subscriber count is good for Disney plus, but I still think at the end of the day, people are going to choose whether or not they want to subscribe to something based off a TV show and how well it's rankings. In fact, these charts can back it up. And this is kind of related to what might potentially happen. These charts show how 2022 box office sizzled and then fizzled. The summer box office started out with a bang, but as season shifts into fall, ticket sales have fizzled. Paramount, the Skydance, Top Gun, Maverick, alongside Disney and Marvel Studio, Doctor Strange, and the Multiverse of Madness, reginated movie theater business, driving millions to theaters and racking up hundreds of millions in ticket sales. The two firms kicked off the summer movie seasons, which runs through May through August, and are top-grossing movies released domestically this year. However, with only a handful of major releases during the summer season, Ticket sales dwindled in late July and fell through August. In fact, the box office generated less than $100 million each of the last five weeks of the summer period, according to data from uh, Comscore. It's definitely the end of a whimper, said Sean Robbins, chief media analysis at Box Office. Big franchises, including Universal's Jurassic World Dominion, Minions, The Rise of Gru, and Disney's Thor 
Love and Thunder lifted the box office, but without smaller mid-tier budget films to fill the gaps, the summer box office failed to capitalize on the momentum. Okay, this is one thing I don't get, okay? And I really, really am going to be willing to call out CNBC on this, okay? On their chart, okay, they're showing the movies that came out, okay? It says March 4th, The Batman came out. Uh, April 8th was Sonic the Hedgehog. Doctor Strange was May 6th. Top Gun was May 27th. Jurassic World was June 10th. Thor was July 8th. Now, on the chart that you see, Thor, Love and Thunder got close to about 250 million. But one thing they do not mention in this article at all, okay? Because they say, because this is what they're saying. They say, while audience have returned to cinemas and are spending more on premium tickets and popcorn, there's still lingering pandemic issues. Those issues include production shutdowns and delayed film shoots and pressure on visual effects house to complete projects on shortened deadlines. Yeah, no, that's not the reason why people are probably not buying movie tickets. Remember, we talked about this in the past, okay? There was an article that we did read from CNBC, and I would advise you to listen to past podcasts to be able to hear what I said exactly on the quote was. But it had to do something along the lines of people are attending the movies. In fact, they don't mention, like, I, and this is what I was trying to get to just a second ago, they don't mention the Buzz Lightyear movie at all in this article, okay? It was a flop. That movie was, a, I believe it was a complete flop, if I'm not mistaken, okay? Because the week after Minions Grew came out, it was a big success, but Disney's Lightyear didn't, okay? I think one reason why people aren't going to the movie theaters Obviously, I mean, okay, fine. I'll give them CNBC credit. Yes, there wasn't a whole lot of films being made. Okay, pandemic. Sure, you can say that. But the movies they just made were not that great in general. People will pay good money to go watch movies if they're good movies. Look at Maverick Top Gun earlier this summer. People loved it and they ran to the box office. They lo- The kids, I guess, loved a little bit of Gru. Light your stunk. Sorry, that's the honest truth, okay? These filmmaking industries have to make a decision. Is it more important to be able to make money or not? Okay. And some of these films decided to go with not make money because they wanted to just have political agendas, I guess, in them, you can say. People are going to vote with their with their feet. People are going to vote with their dollars. Okay. What this really just proves is that if you don't make good content, people are not going to watch it. In fact, this could back up what I'm saying right here, Okay. This is from CNBC reporting this as well. The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of the Power, was watched by more than 25 million globally, Amazon says, okay? That's insane. 25 million for a Lord of the Rings trilogy in the making, okay? It says, Amazon said Saturday, this first episode of Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, series attracted over 25 million viewers globally on its first day, making the biggest ever debut for a show and prime video streaming service. The series is based on the appendixes of J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings books and is the most expensive television series of all time. Quote, it's somehow fitting that Tolkien stories, among the most popular of all time, and what may be considered true origins of the fantasy genre, have led us to this proud moment, Amazon Studios head Jennifer Salky said in a statement. Okay, and it's funny because later on this thing, it talks about Jeff Bezos. It says Jeff Bezos hinted at how precious the series is the fans, saying that one of his sons had told him, don't F this up. Good for you, Jeff Bezos' son. Wish we knew which one it was, but at least Jeff Bezos' son is telling his own dad, like, you better not screw up Lord of the Rings because there's a huge following for that, okay? I mean, even at the end of this article, it says earlier this month, HBO said House of Dragons, a Game of Thrones prequel series, was the biggest series premiere in its history, okay? 
People are willing to watch things if they think it's good. Look at Disney Plus with the Kenobi series. It was the exact same thing. People were willing to pay for the subscription service at Disney Plus, okay? Maybe these movies will get a better idea when they look at how why people watch things. People want to watch things to be entertained. They don't want to have political stuff happening in the movies. They don't want to have agendas in these movies. They want to forget about reality. They want to go into their fantasy world and they want to be able to just watch things without having to think. Now, granted, there are some huge movie goers that would be that would love to be able to nerd out on things and be able to talk about what truly certain things meant in the movie that they were just watching. And that's fine. There's always going to be people like that, okay? But at the end of the day, these movie production studios need to start to realize they need to look about what's causing people to watch film whether it's a TV show or a movie in general. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you make a good plot, you make a good TV series, people will subscribe. If you don't, it's not going to happen. Okay. And I don't think these movie producers realize that they just say, Oh, we'll just throw everything out there and see what happens. That's not how it works. Okay. If this Lord of the Rings series kicks off, they'll hopefully start changing how movies will be. Good for you, Amazon. Thank you for proving that 25 million people are willing to watch the TV show if it has good content. And I guess we'll find out later too if it is if this trend continues. Last thing we'll talk about today, we gotta talk about oil because there's always something to be talking about oil these days. And I don't mind talking about it because Wall Street's not gonna talk about it. So it's here from Europe Politics from CNBC. Russian oil prices cap requires global commitment, France says, will be difficult to implement. Okay. France and French, uh, finance minister Bruno Le Marie said on Saturday that the efforts by G7 and nations to introduce a price cap on Russian oil will require commitment from the wider international community to be successful. The G7 economic powers announced Friday that they all agreed on a plan to impose a set price on Russian oil. The initiative in the latest attempt to apply economic pressure on Moscow over its invasion of Ukraine, but aside from cutting Russian oil revenues, a key sourcing of funding for Vladimir Putin's war chest, La Marie said the policy should be implemented at a global measure against war. Quote, you need an outreach because we don't want this measure to be only a Western measure. He told CNBC Steve Sedwick at a, at the some form in Italy. It should not be a Western measure against Russia. It should be a global measure against war, he added. The G7, which consists of US, Canada, France, Germany, the UK, Italy, and Japan, has yet to finalize how the price cap will be implemented, a process that La Marie, La, La Marie acknowledged could be quite difficult. I hope I'm saying his name wrong. I'm sorry for my podcast listeners in France or anyone who speaks French. I don't speak French. I'm trying my best, okay? Says here later on, we know that we need the unity from all 27 member states if you want to get the green light for introducing that cap, he said, referring to the EU bloc of nations and a non-enumerated member of the G7. More than that, however... Le Marie said the policy would require participation by other major global ec economies. It follows commitments from Kadri Simpson, the EU energy chief, who urged involvement from China and India, both of which have increased their purchases of Russia oil this year, benefiting from the discount rates. If we want to be efficient on these sanctions, we need to reduce the revenues that Russia is gaining from oil and gas selling. Okay, we kind of talked about this a little bit yesterday. Okay, now we got to, I mean you got to convince Russia and India to be able to stop buying oil, okay? you got to also convince Saudi Arabia, who's actually been selling Saudi Arabian oil to the world. At least that's an opinion I have. 
I haven't been able to prove that one as much. We did prove the China one yesterday when we talked about it. Listen to yesterday's podcast, actually, if you want to be able to understand the China, how China's actually buying Russian oil and selling it. And we'll get to that a little bit more in a second again. But last thing we'll talk about, EU energy chief urges China and India to support a price cap on Russian oil. From Bali, Indonesia, the European Union on Saturday urged China and India to join the G7 initiative to apply a cap on Russian oil prices, saying it's unfair for countries to pay excessive revenues to Moscow amid the Kremlin war in Ukraine. The G7 nations announced Friday that they agreed on a plan to impose a set price on Russian oil. The policy designed to reduce the profits that Russia makes from selling oil that acts on another punitive measure against the Kremlin over the onslaught of Ukraine. Details of how the price cap will work are still being finalized, but energy analysis raised concerns about this plan, in particular about whether key consumers such as China and India will join in. China and India have increased their purchase of Russian oil following the Moscow invasion of Ukraine, betting for discount rates. When asked whether the EU expect China and India to help with the proposed price gap, European's Energy Commissioner Cardi Simon said, I think that they should. <laughs> yeah, I think that they should. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. Speaking to CNBC, on the sidelines of the G20 energy meeting in Indonesia, Simmons said China and India are willing to buy Russian oil products while excusing themselves that this is important for their security of supply. But it is unfair to pay excessive revenues to Russia. So a cap is given also buyers who have not joined our sanctions a chance to receive oil with a fair price, a price where war factor is not added, Simmons said. The U.S. said last week that it had a construction had constructive talks with India on the matter, according to Rudders, while China reporters said in July that a price cap was a very complicated issue. Yeah, they're not going to listen. Okay, we just talked about this yesterday, and I still would advise listening to yesterday's podcast to hear more about the China thing. But China's buying Russian oil, and they're selling Russian oil to the market. Okay, I looked up the numbers a little bit today, and in July, Russian oil is sitting between, I think it was $30 to $40 a barrel, while Brent crude was close to 140 I think today it's around 18 to 25 a barrel for Russian oil. And it's about 90 to 100 for Brent crude oil. Okay. These people are not dumb. These politicians though at the G Summit, they are complete idiots. Absolute idiots. Oh, I think, let's read that quote from her again. I think that they should with India and China with not buying as much oil. India and China are going to keep buying this oil. It's ridiculous. The oil markets... To me personally, I mean, oil is going to be where the money is going to be made for a good while. As long as this war keeps happening between Russia and Ukraine, I'm not telling you to buy oil, obviously, but Wall Street's going to be dumping money potentially in these place in these companies. Okay, think about it. Wall Street just wants to make money. Okay, they don't care where the money comes from. Okay, it would not surprise me if Wall Street firms started buying oil companies from China. From Saudi Arabia, would not surprise me if they started buying oil companies from Syria, because I believe Syria supports Russia's war with Ukraine, Iran, maybe even Iraq, whatever country's supporting Russia, whatever country's buying Russian oil, they're just going to end up just shipping all their oil overseas because they can get cheap oil from Russia. These oil companies from overseas, they're going to be making a ton of money, okay, as long as this war still happens. And Wall Street's not going to care. They're just going to say, hmm, forget it. We're going to make money. That's all we care about. We don't care where we get it from. It's a, it's a disgusting, disgusting game, okay? Now, don't get me wrong. Like I had mentioned earlier, I do have some oil companies, Exxon and Chevron and British Petroleum in particular, and they're trying to get out of Russia. But at the same time, it's also a very sticky situation too. I mean... You don't want to support Russia. You don't want to you want to support Ukraine. It's wrong what Russia's doing. 
But at the end of the day, these countries don't care. They really don't care. Okay, think about it. Let's let's go back to what we were talking about. If Russian oil is between eighteen twenty five dollars, let's just say it's twenty dollars a twenty dollars a barrel right now to buy Russian oil, and the Brent crude oil print index is ninety to hundred dollars, and we'll just say it's ninety. Okay, I'm China. I want to make money. I buy Russian oil at twenty dollars a barrel. Oh, the United States needs some oil. Well, if I buy, and we'll make it simple terms for a lot of people to understand this podcast because the demographics of my age group is quite expansive and it'll be easier for me to explain. I buy one barrel of oil from Russia at $20. I sell it to the United States for 90. I just made it $70 profit right there. $70. Now think of millions of dollars, potentially billions Maybe not billions, but at least millions of dollars they could be making. That's insane to think about. They're going to keep buying Russian oil. And these politicians, they're so dumb. Oh, yeah, we're we're going to put a price cap on it. And we're going to get India and China to help. India and China are not going to do that. Sorry. I don't know if India is selling oil to the world. I kind of doubt it. I mean, India, they have a border dispute with, with uh, China. And they're not going to want to be left behind. I mean, I believe India is going to catch up to China soon when it comes to population growth. If not, they already are bigger. Last thing we'll read, it says, the price cap is expected to be ready before early December when EU sanctions on seaborne imports on Russian crude kick in. But market players are still waiting for further details on the exact level of the cap. The initial price cap will set a level based on range of technical inputs that will decide the full coalition advance of implementations in each jurisdiction. The price cap will publicly committed in a clear and transparent manner, the G7 said in a joint statement. It says here, Russia said it will not sell oil to nations that impose price limit. What's more is in the wake of the G7 announcement, Russia's state-owned energy giant Gazprom said it will not restart flows via Nord Stream pipeline due to technical issues. European officials have criticized Russia for using the gas as a weapon of war and accused the Kremlin denies. Yeah, it doesn't. Oh, here it is. Last thing too. The main Im- impact of the G7 oil, oil price cap will further shift economic competitiveness from Europe to India, Turkey, China, and other Asian states. Chris Wafer, ex- Chief Executive Officer, I'm Rackle Adversary, said an email to clients. Russia will not sell oil to so-called unfriendly Western nations, but will continue to sell Asian nations at a discount to a global price. Yeah. If I'm a country like China right now, I'm going to be buying up as much oil as possible. If I wanted to screw over the United States... I would literally just keep buying Russian oil and I'd sell it. I'd sell it to Europe. I'd sell it to the United States. I just keep buying if, if I was China, because I have a feeling China's already, China's already doing this. We've talked about this and these politicians, these politicians are so, so dumb. They're going to want to, these, these countries want to make money. China wants to probably be the next superpower in the making. They want to be badly and they're probably going to do whatever it takes to get it. And we're playing right into their hands. So these G summon meetings, it's pretty dumb. Oil markets though, probably going to still continue being hot. The hot market right now for the time being. So I'm sorry, guy. I'm sorry, fellow podcast listener. I'm just super annoyed by these politicians that think that, that these countries are just going to do this. And I'm sure you are too, but hey, at least we get to talk about it. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. I ask that if you had that, you please like and subscribe to this podcast as every like and subscription that we get can help grow this podcast so we can be able to keep talking about these events that are happening on Wall Street that Wall Street's not willing or not willing to talk about at times. 
Please also share with friends or family as they might enjoy it as well and be able to help spread the word as much as possible. With that being said, thank you for listening to today's podcast today, fellow podcast listeners. Thank you and goodbye.